bit like me, you probably have a closet full of local band merch. And whether you know it or not, a lot of that band merch was probably made by Divine Shirt Company right here in Winnipeg. Divine Shirt Company has made all of the Great Witch Police merch from our hoodies to our toques to our t-shirts. And if you're looking to get anything done, like screen printing, embroidery, graphic design, digital printing, go to see Divine Shirt Company at divineshirtcompany.ca and tell them which police radio sent you. One of our colleagues, Sam Thompson, who, um, if you saw him, you'd sort of right away assume he was a hippie. Get up off your ass and get up on the podcast! Which police radio? Which police radio? Which police radio? Which police radio? Get up off your ass and get up on the podcast! Which police radio? Alright, welcome to Wish Police Radio. So one of the things that I do a lot on this show, and I think this is something that regular listeners would know, is that um, I'm always talking to artists about sort of their new projects, stuff they have coming up, albums they just released, and in this case, uh, the guest I'm talking to, we're talking about something that's definitely not new. It's new to me, I just sort of stumbled upon it fairly recently, but uh, there's a bit of a long history here that goes well beyond sort of the usual time f- time frame of people I talk to on the podcast. So I think that maybe, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. the best way to start this off is if you maybe just want to give a quick introduction uh, of who you are and, and what it is that you do, or that you did at least back then. My name's John Croker. Let's see, probably late 70s to middle 80s, I started playing keyboards. And uh, I still remember I was listening to the radio and I heard something. It was Emerson Lake and Palmer's Lucky Man. Okay. And I thought, what the heck is that weird sound at the end? So I wasn't really interested. And then a little bit later, I started listening to that kind of music. And I decided I'd take a keyboards. So I started taking, of all things, uh, formal organ playing, like with pedals and everything, yeah. classical organ. And then from then on, I just started listening to more and different music and then just started really getting into music and um, started getting into synthesizers. Uh, didn't have a lot of money back then. So I started a what's the word started off small and then traded in, got something better and kept going like that. And then um, I started playing probably three, four hours a night every day for years. And then I saw uh, thought that, Hey, it'd probably be a good idea to start recording this stuff. So back then um, I had a cassette player. So I started recording things and, uh, I had pretty good chops back then. I was able to play fairly well. And so I started recording things and then I bumped into, I don't know how, but um, there was this record store called Impulse Records. Right. By a Roman, uh, owned by a Roman Panchitian. And I went there and he, um, he blew my mind. He turned me on to all this really, really different kind of music. And that's when I completely went perpendicular to, I was sort of into uh, like Yes and Emerson, like in Palmer kind of stuff. And that, then that makes sense just, from like, a keyboard perspective too, right? I mean, you're listening to these bands that have very um, prominent keyboard players. 
I even had the Rick Wakeman long hair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I, Roman turned me on to all this really different stuff, and uh, it spoke to me. And so I started going in that direction. And then, like I said, I was taping stuff, and then Roman said, bring some stuff in. Cool. So I brought some of the music in. He loved it. And then um, I just kept cranking up the music. And then he decided, like, hey, why don't we release uh, a cassette? So it took a while. We The recordings weren't very good there. Luckily, we had somebody who could uh, engineer the cassettes fairly well. And we got a pretty good master out of it. And we released. It was called Monologue. And that was back in... Uh, heck, I think called 82. Yeah. Yeah, 81, 82. And we released this uh, cassette tape. It actually did okay. We got some reviews back from like Japan and they liked it in Holland. And that was cool. So I just kept playing. And then uh, I had another perpendicular that I started getting into uh, samplers. And then I started playing completely different music, like uh, real-time music on Crete. Okay, cool. And then um, I've just been playing since. I lost my hands for a while. I couldn't play. Like, I didn't lose my hands. Yeah, yeah. But I think I burned out or something. And then I stopped playing, and I got into the, what do they call it? It's gas, gear acquisition syndrome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're trying to find where in the heck am I going to go now? Cause I started to veer away from keyboards and more into controlling sounds. And then, so I just kept playing like that. And then about, I think I was looking, I was trying to find the earliest instance. I think it was around 2014 or around that time, some guy named, Damien Furland emailed me yeah, no, and yeah. said, hey, yeah, and said, uh, hey, I really like your music. I know this guy, and uh, his name's Josh Sheon, and he, uh, what's the record? Uh, Dark Entry Records. Right. And he's sort of like a patron of music. And he, Damien sent the tape to, uh, to Josh. Josh freaked out, got a hold of me and said, I want to cut this. And it took probably about four years of back and forth doing the, um, getting a good master. What is the album going to look like as in the, the, the face of the album, yeah. the artwork and all that stuff. And to be perfectly candid, I sat on it for a little bit because it was kind of hard to believe that this was happening. You know, some guy from San Francisco says, Hey, I want to cut, I want to make a record out of your cassette. So I went, mm, whatever. It was weird. And then, so. Sorry, I was going to just ask, how long had it been, I mean, since that cassette had been out of circulation? It must have been, been years by that point since it had been, you sold all the copies originally, right? Yes, yeah, so say 82, 84 was, yeah, say 82 was when we cut the cassette. Yeah. And that lasted for about a year or two. And then we just sort of 
lost interest. And then this would be about four years ago. No, five, six, about 2014. Yeah, so it's so decades, from decades, yeah. Decades. So needless to say, when I got these emails, I thought like, this is weird. I don't know if it's real. So then we kept going at it. And then uh, all of a sudden, uh, there's this box at my front door and it's the shape of a record. It was a test pressing. Oh, cool. So I screamed and yelled and fainted. It was, it was, it's real, unbelievable. And uh, so I played it and it was great. The, the mastering was really, really good. And uh, back and forth and within a year, he released it, Josh Gian on Dark Entry Records. And uh, yeah, that's it. Totally weird. Out of nowhere, now I have a record.
what do you think is the um, the staying power of that album? Because, like, I mean, you know, you're talking about doing this in 82. Like, I'm 40 this year. I was born in 82. And I'm listening to this for the first time in, oh, 20, cool. in 2021, <laughs> right? And, like, I yeah. loved it. I heard this. I'm like, this is great. And so what is it that you think has made this? Obviously, this guy putting it on, on, on vinyl, it spoke to him as well, right? And it spoke to Damien in order to, to pass it on to him. Like, there's something about this music that is still resonating. What do you think that has kind of blasted the test of time with this record it's pure electronic music and it's like um back then this kind of stuff was very esoteric fringe yeah and um i think yeah, I got it. I understood, and I was able to translate where I wanted to go. I had some, um, thanks to Roman, I had some incredible um, references of people that were on the leading edge doing that kind of stuff. And I managed to pull off real electronic not like uh, crazy, you know, like um, random stuff. That yeah. playing electronic music that's um, back then was cool, and now when I listen to it, I actually don't cringe. I think it's um, the last song on the second side still blows me away. Uh, um, I really. Yeah, that's the word. I got it. Yeah. And it still has staying power. People that do listen to it, uh, they're blown away by it. And that's really cool. It's something that I created back in 82 Yeah, is still valid and present now. Yeah, and, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, and you know... The, the album sort of jumps around a little bit. There's, I think I went, well, maybe not. I shouldn't say that back then. There's a whole bunch of different styles in there. And there's like, uh, there's some noise music. Yeah. And, you know, there's some really, I was, um, I liked fast, dynamic, moving music. And fortunately, if you really listen to the record, you can hear there's one or two mistakes but I, like I said, I had the chops and I could actually pull it off. And I had good equipment back then while well, I was starting to get good equipment. And I was playing with another guy. We were dialogue. Right. And that was Victor. And Victor actually had a two-voice Oberheim for all the gearheads out there. And that machine was um, absolutely a fabulous sequencer. And I would start working on sequences. I also had another, it's an EML 400, which was a beast. And between those two sequencers, that would start. And then I'd sort of build on those things. So it was like um, the bass was pure yeah. electronic machine music. Well, and I really... Hmm. I wonder if that's maybe part of, the, part of the appeal. I think you might be right, is that, you know, because I don't know if someone can make that same record now. They have the technology, obviously they could replicate the sounds, but 
doing that on a computer versus you doing it, you know, with the actual technology of the time. I think it has some kind of an edge to it that, that maybe wouldn't be there if everything's sort of fabricated, you know, on, on a computer now. I would totally agree with that. Something that a lot of people don't know is 99% of the music on that record is live. Yeah, I read that. That's really cool. And um, so there's the energy there. I have a lot of gear. And throughout the years, um, there's no way me, I could repro uh, reproduce that stuff. Because A, you need specific machines. Yeah. And then you also have the, you need the headset of where I was at that time in order to get that kind of energy in there in the rhythms and the polyrhythms and all that cool stuff happening. I think it would be extreme. Well, not extremely. I think you'd have to be pretty hot to be able to recreate that. And I would consider that a real challenge for somebody to do because the, the harmonies, because of all the sequencers, they're quite complex. Mm -hmm. And they move fast, and there's weird drumming happening in the background. So we're an interesting concept. I don't know. Um, that'd be fun. It'd be <laughs> to, really to try and redo it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but trying to get the gear again would break me because the Oberheim two voice. It's a twelve to fourteen thousand dollar instrument now. But it's right. very hard to get. And a mini Moog is like four to six thousand bucks, and you know. But yeah, it's it's got the it's got the energy of the time, you know that that word sight uh, zeitgeist. Yeah, yeah. It was sure. there, and I was embracing it. And you know, my life was electronic music back then, and I think that really carried through on the record. I was doing um, with Victor and by myself. We were doing all kinds of stuff because people were hearing us and they like what we're doing so we did stuff for the contemporary dancers okay. and i did something to plug in which my lifelong regret was nobody had a video recorder that was you know we were we were really pushing the boundaries and i think um i made it work on monologue
has this reissue a, a few years ago, has that um, kind of generated more interest uh, just in general in what you're doing? Like, have you been sort of uh, seeing people kind of rediscovering you now and maybe even rediscovering some of that early electronic music? I know there's a lot of people rediscovering older electronic music, you know, like look what Josh is doing. There's a big market for that kind of stuff. Yeah. But locally, um, no. <laughs> I get a lot of, uh, there's people, um, there's, there's not enough people who are really into that kind of stuff anymore. Yeah. In the world, yes. But locally, no. Um, which kind of makes me want to, gives me the itch i want to go out and play again but if i went out to play again it wouldn't be anything like monologue because you have to move forward and you know advance from that kind of stuff and like you were saying it's probably very difficult to replicate that exactly anyway so even if it was like you know hey this is the guy who did monologue you're going to get to the show and you can't physically recreate that there's no way I've got the chops for that kind of stuff now. No way. Have you have you been consistently making music since then? Like, have you whether you've you've released it or not? Have you been actively playing? I've, um, I've been playing all the time, but I've got too much other stuff on in the way. Sort of, I'm working on things, and then it takes me away from music, and that really bugs me. Yeah, and um, I'm trying to get into it again um but i don't know what direction i'd go i think if i finally get the uh, the will or the impetus to play again something will come out of it yeah and that's sort of what i'm hoping for i'd really like to um i'd like to get out and play because i still think like monologue back then I would have something that is fresh and breaks down the boundaries and is different yeah. from what's out there now. Because what's out there now is, um, it's weird out there. There's too, too many um, beatboxes and Ableton and all that stuff. And it's really become, but I'm sure everybody says that throughout the decades. Right, the you know. the next generation is not doing it the, not doing it right, right? Every everyone assumes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but if you so, came, if you came back though and started playing shows and everything, you would just naturally have a different perspective on music just from your experiences and your experience with that old equipment and sort of translating that over the years into what you're doing oh. now. So it, it's I think it's necessarily going to be different from what everyone else is doing because you know someone who grew up using Ableton or things like that they they don't have that right they don't have that 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 history of having created things more directly like you have. exactly and i think yeah like back then that was cool because i remember many times i was filling my car up with i was putting gas in my car and some guy came up to me and he said you're john croker aren't you and i said well what what and he says i saw you play with Victor and dialogue. And I thought your music was really cool. Oh. So what? Wow. <laughs> How many years have passed since, since the, since he'd seen you play? Oh, geez. <laughs> like, yeah. Like middle eighties. Yeah. 
to the 90s. So it made an impact, obviously. Obviously, what, what you were doing then clearly affected him enough to, to remember you all these years later. I should say that, like, whenever, when I played or Victor played or when we played together, um, people had a lot of problems with the music. Okay. Uh, they, you know, uh, I was going to say in my eyes or in my ears, it wasn't that weird, but a lot of times people sort of, we got cat calls because they didn't know what the F was going on. Yeah. Yeah. And we thought that was just so cool because again, that meant we were doing something that was, you know, leading edge and going out there. Yeah. You remember, remember that distinctly. Well, it's, it's it's almost it's almost like a punk rock kind of thing, not not sonically, but the 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 aesthetic of it of, of just doing something that is not what people are are listening to. It's not necessarily what they're going to like, but you're kind of innovating and doing something noisy and uh, and different and weird and, and going <laughs> that way, which I, always is the best stuff. I think I think regardless of what genre you're talking about, someone who just goes out on a limb and tries something new and and, and puts their own stamp on it, usually that ends up being the best the best music whether it's punk or electronic or hip-hop or country or jazz or whatever like that that stuff is always what i'm drawn to as a listener anyway totally agree yeah and you know it was kind of weird because uh victor was going for his degree in electronic engineering and ee and i was going for a b in film theory so we both realized that one day we're gonna have to make a decision do we get a degree and become proper adults and make good money or whatever you know that was that was quite the decision but uh yeah it was being out there making crazy music was just so cool and and to actually release like personally release monologue and have people like it yeah and and get really cool reviews and i should say that you know, some of the reviews, which totally blew me away, compared me to Conrad Schnitzler, who was my man. Cool. And I actually got somebody, the last song on the second side, they compared me to Tangerine Dream. Oh, really? Which was really cool back then. So, you know, from Conrad Schnitzler, Tangerine Dream is quite a big difference. But yeah. So I got external validation that I was doing something leading edge and, you know, it was just so cool. And when this record thing came out, I was just blown away. Wow. Well, you know, the, it's the, a whole new generation discovering it, right? I mean, you, it's now available, especially with, you know, things like Bandcamp and stuff, which is where I first heard it. It's out there and people can, you know, someone who wasn't even born when you did the first record, when you first released it, you know, could... <laughs> could could very well be listening to it right now. It's, it's so cool that it's available. Yeah, that totally freaks me out, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I bet. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and it's funny. And, 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 you know, oh, go ahead. Sorry. It's it's just such a, you know, it's um, it's time travel. Yeah. You know, what I created back then is translated into the future. You know, that uh, what's that, it doesn't mean much now. It's built for the future, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that idea. And I think that, I mean, I wish more people would um, sort of 
consider that because I think now we're in a culture where everything is so disposable. I mean, the way people listen to music, they're you know, it's all on streaming and stuff. They're not, and the way people watch movies and TV, everything's very much just instant gratification, and then it's gone, and you move on to the next thing. But there, there's obviously value in in stuff like this that that's been you know sitting on a shelf for forty years, and, and then it gets reintroduced, and and people can see the the worth of it and and get inspired by it the same way people presumably did 40 years ago yeah yeah that that's one thing that i just wish see i don't know how many people listen to it right because i don't follow that i'm not into streaming believe it or not everything i like i always download because i don't trust streaming yeah no i, I hear so. you yeah yeah and you know so if i want to go somewhere i don't have to worry about uh streaming costs or whatever roaming costs on there and like to download but yeah that's you know i think that's really cool like i've got some stuff on uh, on youtube and on instagram and i get a lot of feedback from that cool so people like the direction i'm going and then every once in a while i get this shock where somebody says hey i listen to monologue and i go cool What'd you think? And, you know, um, they like it. I don't get any, oh, mind you, you never hear about people that, well, I shouldn't say that, <laughs> people that hate it. But, you know, I get consistently cool stuff. And then they go, 1982. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. You know? I think the people who are going to like something like that, too, I think that are the type of person who's going to give it the chance to sit down and listen to the thing from start to finish and not just, you know, listen to 30 seconds and then skip ahead to the next, the ne- whatever the next music is right i think it's it appeals to a certain type of nerdiness which is probably the audience has always been there for it, it, it that that wants to just absorb it and, and and listen to it repeatedly and just kind of uh, soak it in yeah that's one thing um that i thought was a real was a real thrill for me was to play the album yeah both sides because i haven't listened i hadn't listened to the set in, in decades and then i got this record and i had to buy a record player because I didn't have a record player. So I went out and bought a record player and I played the whole thing. And it was just, um, it does weird things to your head because I remember doing most of that stuff. I had a studio in the Bates building on the fifth floor. Uh, Room 55 is called Electric Language. And um, all of it was created in that little studio and it was a really cool place there was a lot of um was one of those artists place and yeah i would always go there at night and and do two or three hours and you know when i listened to the record when i did listen to the record and its entirety was like um back to that thing that was time travel man that was unbelievable that's cool. and all this all this stuff that happened in between and all that like uh yeah wow amazing
hear this if they want to hear monologue if they want to you know whether it's streaming or downloading or even getting a physical copy what's the best where would you sort of direct them to to find find this music to be perfectly candid i don't know where did you find it i found it on bandcamp <laughs> I, I i one of the things i do like i've been doing this show for nine years and i've done almost 700 episodes so i'm always looking for new to me winnipeg stuff because that's sort of the format of the show right so i often go to bandcamp type in winnipeg and just listen to a ton of stuff. Oh, yeah. And so this one, I hadn't heard your name before. I didn't know what it was. Hit the first song, which is, it starts off very well. I gotta say it. Like it's, <laughs> it's really driving and, and, and kind of almost heavy, you know, for uh, an intro to the record. And so he hooked me right away and I listened to it and I was like, Oh, this is great. And then just like you said, I discovered in the liner notes at the bottom of the screen. Oh wait, this was, this came out in 82. So yeah, I, yeah. I found it kind of by, by accident on, on Bandcamp, but um, I'm glad I did. Cause I believe it's on some of it's on SoundCloud. Okay. Um, I think you can listen to it on. Um, I always forget his thing. Dark Entry Records. I think if you go to the the web page for the record, yeah, I think there's some links to it. And um, duh, I don't know because I don't actively go out trying to find it. Yeah. But it is there. And, it's out there. People can search for you and search for monologue and they'll probably turn it up at some point. Yeah. And, you know, if you do start looking, you'll find some other stuff. I did a lot of really strange musical type things. I was into filmmaking and I made a film, did the music for that, which is it's called 38 Jansky Units. It's crazy. Cool. It's in it's on YouTube. And uh, yeah, that's one thing I've never actually searched out to see where I can listen to the entire album because I'm one of the, okay, so here's a confession here. I went and bought my own record because <laughs> it's my record. So whenever somebody asks me, the first thing I do is I go completely analog and I say, go buy it. Yeah. You know, and then people get all bent out of shape because they want a free album. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. But I'm pretty analog for that kind of stuff. I think you should, you know, totally. If you, yeah, but that's not the way it works nowadays. So, so if someone wants to buy it, I mean, should they contact you, or do you send them to, I guess, Wild Planet now? Um, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how many copies he's got left, but I think Josh has got a bunch in San Francisco. So if Roman runs out, we've still—I can't remember how many we pressed. Okay, but they're out there, and uh, yeah, you can get them if you want to. And like I say, now you've sort of piqued my interest. I don't know if I should go. I think I'm going to go out and look and see where I can find this thing. Yeah, right on, right on. 